Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. If you have your Bibles today, uh, or if you're pulling it up in your uh, phone or tablet, uh, if you're opening up the Sugar Hill Church app, my notes are in there, and I'll probably follow them a little bit today. And so if I don't, and you cut and paste something out of there I didn't say, thank you. Uh, and uh, we'll have a good time. I do want to talk today about I am, and uh, it has two different points of context here. On the one, it is the opposite of what we are not, I am, and is the recognition of who is, the great I am. And so in our lives, I I think what happens is our testimony gets lost into the belief that um, what we say is what matters most. And what I would say to you is that I don't believe that's true. I think what we do and what we display is the walking, living testimony of our life. Now, some of us in this room are extremely emotional people. And so drama kind of comes with your package. And it's just kind of like everything is loud and, and, and just every, we know what everybody thinks is going on in your life. And then on the other extreme, we've got some contemplatives in the room that, you know, you're just, you're kind of quiet and sullen. And we don't really know often people may, may think of you as aloof or, but, but you're, you're probably just, contemplating what the next move is. And so I, I look at this, and on the church staff, we have everything in between those two. Like on the, on the, on the whole emotional side, you've got like Susan Roebuck. Because like when Susan's having a bad day, we all have a bad day, right? <laughs> Mainly because we love her, and she's so good at her job that we're just, okay, when some, something's wrong, we know it. And that's, that's really great, because you never have to wonder where you stand with Susan. And then on the other hand, you've got Bobby. And Bobby is so contemplative that sometimes in a conversation, you feel like you're pulling something out of him because he's not going to say it until he's thought through it, right? And so you've got these extremes. So like on, on this other end, you've got me, which, uh, you know, a, a good fact has never gotten in the way of a good story. You know, it's just like, let's, let's do this. We can do this. And, uh, and then on the other hand, you've got Benj, which is, okay, we might can do that, but let's build a plan. Right? And I'm thinking, plan, man, we got to go. We got to do something, right? And he's like, no, no, we plan. And so all together, you put all that hodgepodge together, and all of a sudden, when you value each other in that, in that light, it's amazing how strong you are because you realize that God made all these people and made most, no mistake when he did, and he created us so that together we were stronger. But I believe most of us do often live on those extremes. And so what happens is we, we are telling the world through our emotional state or through our contemplative state or, or maybe our aloof state, whatever that is, I think what happens to us is our testimony gets completely washed away in our extremes. Now, let me, let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. So, so let's just say that you grew up where when you heard the word testimony, that's what somebody stood up and said, right? Because you went, you went to Wednesday night prayer meeting and it had testimony night, which was short for the preacher didn't plan anything, testimony night, right? And then you would have the same people every, every time you did that that would stand up because their inner preacher got out. Right? And so they were like 24 minutes into their story, and the whole room was thinking, just shut up. We will pray for you twice if you'll hush. Three times if you'll do it now, right? But then on the other hand, you know, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you just wanted them to engage just a little bit? Been there? Right? So I think what happens is we forget that our testimony is the way we live day by day by day. And what, what we do, how we do it, I believe is a reflection of what we believe God to be in our life. 
Okay, and I don't miss that point. I believe the way we choose to live our life, make our decisions, act and react, this is, this is what we believe God can do in our life. And in many of our lives, we do things like this. Somebody says, wow, you did a great job with that. And some of us turn the song that we sing as a praise chorus into a different song. I mean, somebody says, wow, that was so great. You did so good. And, and we start singing the song, right? I am here for them you know, and away you go. Then on the other extreme, it's this. You did so great. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, really? It was nothing. I really, it's awful. You know, I just, I, thank you, but you know, really. I, mm. And I think in those extremes, what we're saying is, you know, Lord, I don't believe you could do anything. I don't believe you could do something with me. Lord, let's face it. I, I mean, I, I've made a total disaster in my life. You couldn't use me. And yet in every great Bible story ever known to man is the same story. Someone who loved the Lord made a total mess of their life. The Lord chased after them, forgave them, and brought them back in. We are that story. We are no different than the people of Israel. We're wandering in a desert, and when we get tired of manna, we're saying, come on, I'd love to have a burger. I mean, when we, when we don't have enough of God's provision, we whine and, and create an idol. I mean, we live in these extremes. I mean, if you're the emotional person, man, I mean, we all know what's going on. And if you're not, well, it's, it's a great challenge. So if you'll find in your Bibles the book of 2 Timothy, it's toward the end of the New Testament, so it's all the way to the right in your book and, and, and your Bible. And I want you to take a look at chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse number 7. Now, what, what we find here is some unbelievable truths that I want you to grab on to. So here's what it says. For God has not given us, now get that, has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. So Paul is writing this, and he is in prison. He has every, every right to become a whiner. But he's saying, no, 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 listen, I want you to know, this is how the Lord is receiving glory here. I want you to know that this is awesome. And he says, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Now, you could replace those two words, good news, with the term gospel. So you, you could read it and say, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the gospel. And you say, well, what is the gospel? Okay, the gospel message is we are people that are imperfect and we have sin in our life where we broke God's rules. We deserve to be separated from God, but in his love for us, he sent Jesus to die for us and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of all of our selfishness and sin. And then he was buried in, in a borrowed tomb and three days later rose from the dead so that we might have life and we might have it in abundance and we might have life eternal. This is the gospel. Jesus crucified, risen, coming again, all right? And it says, be ready to suffer for that. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Our lives are a reality show, and, and for some of us, that reality show is incredibly boring. For some of us, we are a sitcom that would be in prime time. For some of us, we are a documentary that we hope never gets seen. For some of us, we have forgotten that our life is a testimony of what we believe about God every single day, every decision, every moment. You, you, what you are sending is a radar off from you about what you believe, not what you believe about you, but what you believe about God in you. Now, let me take a quick poll. How many of you have given your life to Christ, but it was more than 20 years ago? Can I see your hand? More than 20 years ago. Okay, hold them high. Okay, very good, about the same percentage as last hour. All right, how many of you would say, I have given my life uh, in, in 10 years or less? 10 years or less. Okay, good, five years or less? 
two years or less. One year. Okay, so we got a little of everything, right? But I want you to notice this, that the diversity of spiritual maturity has very little to do with when you receive Christ, but what you do with Christ. Does that make sense? So if there are people in our church who have been Christians for 25 or 30 years, and they're still babies. They're still, they're still hanging on to a bottle. And there are some of you that I've seen in the last year or two, and you're totally blowing my mind as you're walking and trusting and abiding in Jesus. Because this decision is not about you. This decision is what you believe about God in you. And our testimony is built that way. Our lives are a testimony to somebody about something. And so you say, well, Chuck, not me. I mean, come on, I, I'm, I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. I'm, I'm just a laborer. I'm just a business owner. I'm just a, and whatever you put after the I'm just a, it's not about you. Now you may think it's about you, but it's not about you. What you're saying is I'm just a something less than because I don't believe God could really do something greater than me. Now you say, well, Chuck, that's, that's not my heart's desire, but that's what you're saying to the rest of us. By the way, I am as guilty of this as anybody, and I'll show it that to you in a few minutes. So for now, let's go to 1 Corinthians. So if you're in your Bible, turn left and go for a while. It's still in the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 9, here's what we read about Paul writing the church in Corinth. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that's been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Now, you say, well, what does this have to do with my life? Because what Paul is saying to you is this. We unintentionally destroy our living testimony often by just the simple things we don't think about or the simple things that we take on that we shouldn't. And look, here's what Paul's saying. Now, Look in the context of what he's saying. There are people freaked out about what I eat or drink, all right? Now, he's not specifically talking about food here. What Paul is talking about is, okay, if I'm doing anything that would cause somebody else to follow the wrong path, then I'm in sin, which means all of us are living some testimony somehow, some way. You're leading somebody. You're leading your child, your spouse, your business, your company, your class, your school, your band, your team. We all have this influence with somebody, somewhere, somehow. So it's with that understanding that I really believe when we swing to our extremes, we forget that at times we're ruining and often destroying our testimony for Christ because we're limiting what God could do in us. So before you start throwing heresy at me, let me finish the thought when I say this, okay? You ready? I believe the great commandment and the great commandment to be that Jesus said we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul, all right? And then he says, and we're to live, or we're to leave, uh, we're supposed to, to love others as we love ourselves. Now, the text specifically says in Matthew 22 that Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And so we, we're working on that, okay? And, and then it says, this is the first and greatest commandment. But the second one is equally important. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law 
of all the prophets are based on these two commandments. So hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of laws of how you're supposed to act, what you're to eat, where you're supposed to go, what you can do, what you can't do, all of that stuff hangs underneath love God, love others, and then there's a clause. And the clause in there is what we pass often. I see a bunch of uh, magnets and stickers on the back of uh, cars where somebody, I don't know what church it is, but they've got a cool little uh, design that says, love God, love others. Love God, love others. Some of them say, love God, love people, right? And I believe all that's true. I believe Jesus was specific, but he gave us a clause. And I believe the clause in there is where we really struggle in our American faith. I believe in our little American faith and how our westernized Christianity takes this on. I truly, honestly believe where we get in trouble is we forget the clause. The clause says, love others the way you what? Love yourself. Now listen, uh, I I want to park here for a minute because some of us on those extremes love ourselves a little too much. All right. And, and we know those folks, don't we? Like some of you are sitting there and saying, Chuck, you're one of those people. And you might be right. And you might be right. On the other hand, I, sometimes I'm on this other extreme too, where Chuck, you're too hard on you. But I believe when, when, there, when we're in those extremes, what happens in our life is we begin to share the testimony, not of our incapability or our capability, not about our inability or ability. We have simply said we're not available and God could not do anything with us. What an awful testimony. You look at somebody and tell someone how bad you are or what you can't do because God can't do that for you. What a horrible testimony. Do you know anybody who wants to follow a savior, follow a king, follow a God that can't do the supernatural in your life? I don't want to follow that king. I don't want to follow that savior. And yet here's what I know. I know many of us are doing this in our story right now. Look at Moses. What did Moses do? All right, God, uh, there's a bush burning here. It's not being consumed. You say, I'm standing on holy ground and I'm hearing your voice and you're saying, go get my people and tell Pharaoh to let them go. God, A, I'm not a good speaker. Uh, uh, God, B, I'm, I'm not a strategic planner. Uh, God, C, I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty content where I'm at, but how about we get somebody to be better than this? And God says, no, 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 you're the man. You do it. I believe each one of us have that in our life where God has put us on a path and God has put us in a trajectory where we're going to have to intersect with life in such a way and we will inevitably tell the world what we believe God can do or we will spend our entire lives telling the world what we can't do. And you see, when I, when, when I do that, I think what happens is I completely fall off the edge. I've admitted to you that I have the great, uh, I have the great ability to get all the way out on the bleeding edge of, of, de- of depression and at times can fall off that cliff. I, I believe that uh, I am, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer that many of us in here that have uh, significant and challenging uh, stress, mental illness, You pick whatever word you want to use. I believe many of us here are struggling because the church doesn't know what to do with that. And I don't want you to hear me say, hey, you just need a big, strong dose of Jesus and you don't need medication. I don't believe that's the case at all. I think many of us ought to be on that medication. I think many people ought to to live there because this is when they they really can walk with God and they really can find his promises. God didn't ask us to park our our brain when, when when we're asked to follow him. But when I look at that, I think to myself, wait a minute, Moses spent his entire time saying no. Many of us do. Many of us spend our life talking about the, the I am nots. Well, I'll tell you what, Lord, when I get this credit card paid off, then we'll give. Lord, I'll tell you what, when I get this next job promotion, I don't have to travel so much, we'll serve. Well, I'll tell you, Lord, when I, when I get done with travel baseball season, then I'll be at church. 
Well, I'll tell you, Chuck, I'll take discipleship seriously when I don't have to work 80 hours a week. And you know what I have found? That every time we say, I can't, every time we say, I won't, every time we say, I am not, what we're really saying is, God, you could never do this without me because I've got to get my junk together. And every scripture we've read this morning says the opposite is true, that Jesus came to rescue you in the middle of your junk and never asked you to get your act together before he could do anything. I believe the Lord is saying to you, I want to invite you into a belief where you can understand what you are. You might be able to say, I am, and then fill in the blank with something that's extraordinary. I believe that the Lord is calling us into a daily practice. So let me stop and tell you, and some of you are going to think, Chuck, you've just gone completely off the deep end. We thought our pastor was a little more reasonable than this. He's not. Um, I I have learned over the past few few weeks that each day I, I need to start my morning with I am and then a blank. I, uh, I, I don't believe in the name it, claim it kind of concept of theology, but I do believe that most of us are limiting the power and the presence of Jesus in our life because we spend so much time telling the world of what we're not instead of what we are. I, I really do believe if, if, you have, if you've trusted Jesus with your life, I mean, you've said, Jesus, I, I know you, you died for me that I might have forgiveness of my sins. I know you rose from the dead for me so that I might have life in abundance. I know you went to heaven to sit by the right hand of the Father so that I might have eternal life someday. And if you've done that, you've made that, that, that promise and that walk in your life, then along the way, we forgot that we have royal blood flowing through our veins, that our DNA was infected in so many ways by the divine, holy creator of life. We forgot that God, God the Father, made us and created us and made no mistake when he did. God the Son forgave us and made no mistake when he did. And God the Holy Spirit, he came to keep us and hold us and he made no mistake when he did. And I would look in our life and I would say, well, you know, what is it then that keeps drawing us back that let, maybe we ought to tackle a few easy IMs today as a little exercise. So grab pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, whatever you've got and open your open your your. A little handout, and on the right-hand page, I've got five sentences that say, I am, and then a blank. I am, and then I'm a blank. Are you with me? So I want to start with the first one, and I want to make sure that you don't miss this. You see, I really believe when we begin to understand who we are in Christ Jesus, we will live that way. You can't hide the fact that we're living that way because God says that you are his masterpiece. Now, before we read, before we start writing, do this for me real quick. Look around at the people around you. Go ahead. Just go ahead. Swivel your head around. Look around. Listen, if you're a dude, you especially don't want to do this because you're thinking, I'm way too cool to do this, and I don't do this kind of thing. But go ahead, go ahead, all right? And you know what are out there? Weirdos. Everywhere you turn are weirdos. Isn't that true? I'm like, there's no place like church to find weirdos, you know? I mean, really, are, we, we speak our own little language. I mean, we're, just, we're, we're strange, right? And I know when you guys looked around there, you were thinking, okay, I'm with you, Chuck, on like eight of the nine people I saw are masterpieces, but that one dude, like God was on a coffee break on that one. It's like, no, he, he, no quality control left heaven on that dude. And you know what the Lord is saying? No, 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 you've missed the whole point. You missed the whole point. You, you, you didn't understand I made a masterpiece with each of you. You are a masterpiece. Listen to what Psalm 100, in, in the 139th Psalm, what David said. God, I praise you because you have made me in an amazing way. What you have done is wonderful. Wow. You are. I am amazing. 
That's you. You are amazing. And you're saying, oh, yeah, some of you right now, finally, you knew. We are amazing. I've been telling myself that for weeks. Chuck, you're behind the curve. And then others, either you're like, who knew? I told Jen, uh, we, we, back a few weeks ago, we were on spring break, and I, I, I don't know why I thought this, but I, I, I spent most of my life being a jerk. I mean, I'm so good at it, right? And, and so since the Lord has allowed me to be the pastor, I've, it's like God's rebuilding me from the inside out. It's like, you know, Chuck, we're going to put jerk aside and we're going to grow you up into a nice person. And I told her the other night, I said, who knew being nice could be this much fun? You know, it's like, wow, this is great being nice. Look at this. The stuff you can get done when you're nice. And, and, but I meant it. I think sometimes here, I am amazing. You're saying, whoa, that's a whole new revelation. I can go eat today and know I'm amazing. Isn't that great? I mean, seriously, the Lord says, you are my masterpiece. The divine, holy God said, you are so valuable. All right, let me... I want you to make sure you get this. So when you said yes to Jesus, God said, I'm adopting you into my family and you get to sit at the big people table and you are amazing. You know what else he said? I am valuable. I'm valuable. I mean, think about that this morning when you got ready, God said, my kid, she's valuable. That dude, he's valuable. You know what I've learned? That when we don't convey value to each other, we never really convey love. And when we don't convey love, we don't convey value. They trigger the same emotion in our life. You know, you know what the Lord says? You, 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 friend, you're valuable. I'm valuable. You're valuable. You're, you're a masterpiece. You're amazing. You're, you, you, are, you are really rather amazing. You have the DNA of a champion running through your bloodline. I mean, think about it. You David, the shepherd boy, he was valuable. He took out a giant. Moses, you know what? Those people did leave. He did part the Red Sea. He did lead them with the Ten Commandments. Samson pushed down the wall. Valuable. What is it, that, what is it about you? You're valuable. You're amazing. But I believe the next two are really, are really amazing. And the third one is, I am loved. I am loved. I don't know about you, but I, I've had a season in my life where I felt like I was alone. Haven't you? I've had a season in my life where I, I questioned, was I loved? I think most of us have at some point in time. If you never have, how wonderful is that? But I've, I've been there. Some of us are there right now. Some of us stay there often. And what we're experiencing in the Lord is we forget that we are loved. Maybe we feel unworthy of that love. Let me just help you. We are. There's nothing we can do that's going to make God love you more or love you less. You, you, you can't go to church enough. You can't give enough. You can't go to Haiti enough. You can't go to Cuba enough. You can't pack backpacks enough. You're not going to make God love you more. And, 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 and if, as long as we try to measure how much stuff we do and believe that God's going to love us more, the more we fail. I read an article this past week that was so interesting. He said, you know, be careful when you start pointing out Pharisees because in the very act, you've become one. You see, this is one of those times when we have to look at our life and say, listen, I am loved, but it's not because of what I've done. I am loved, but it's not because of what I've performed. I am loved, not because I can sing. I am loved, not because I can teach. I am loved, not because I'm a great mom. I am not loved because I'm a great business person. 
I am loved because God loves me. Jot these references down. John 3, 16, you, most of you know this, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That would, whoever would believe in him, you'd have life. You'd have it in eternity. He said, but, but that's a gift of love. I'm giving you a part of myself. I'm giving you my son. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Now, look at this, but all of this is God saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I know what you're saying. Yeah, but Chuck, he, if he sees everything I do, how could he possibly love me? How could he possibly think I am amazing? How could he possibly believe I'm valuable? Because he made you in his image. And when he made you in his image, he made no mistake when he made the wonderful you. Now, in doing that, the way we act and react with the gift is how we are defining for people without faith what we believe God can and what God cannot do. I got one of the kindest notes this week. Uh, Jenny and I had gone over to Uline, that massive place where you buy boxes. I mean, if I could just have a go-kart, Rusty, in that place, we'd kill it. I mean, seriously, man. Those guys on those, uh, those uh, what do you call those things? Forklifts. Yeah, those things. And they all had kind of a different honk right? Because they have to honk when they get to the end of each aisle. I'm, I was in, my mind was in overdrive because it was just total overload with all the honking and the driving. I was fascinated by this place. So Jenny asked the, the guy at the desk, does everybody have his own honk? And about that time, some dude came around and bump, 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 bump. Boy's proud of his forklift. What can I say? Right? And, and, and everybody had their own little deal. And then the dude with our boxes, which was a stack about like that and like that, like clearly you could pick it up and walk. No, 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 no. He came squealing around the corner with that boy, slammed the brakes on, and I thought, I want to do that so bad. <laughs> would that not be cool? I'm telling you, we would turn that sucker into a raceway, and we would have prizes for who got the boxes there fast enough. But that had nothing to do with my sermon. But while we were there, while we were there, dude comes around the corner and says, hey, Pastor Chuck, how you doing? And I immediately say, hey, buddy, good to see you. And I looked at Jenny, and I said, I have no idea who that dude is. <laughs> and, and so that guy... Uh, Facebook friend me later that night, and then I got the coolest note from him. I was, it just made my week. And, and he said, Chuck, uh, Sugar Hill Church has restored our faith in church. We had given up. And I'm so grateful. We, we dedicated our little baby, and we're in, we're in a discipleship group, and we never miss 930 worship, and, and just we love our church. And I was just so proud of y'all because I thought to myself, this, this story this story is a testimony. I interviewed a 68-year-old man for a video earlier this week. His name's Julius Shore, one of the greatest guys I've ever met. And I'll never forget what, what he said. This is a guy who'd grown up in the south uh, part of Chicago uh, running uh, numbers and gambling and kind of a bit of a young mob, mob boss kind of guy. And uh, then he'd moved around a little bit and he, he met who is now his wife. And uh, she said, I'm not going out with you unless you take me to the Billy Graham crusade. And they went to the Billy Graham crusade and got saved and uh, decided I want to live for Jesus. And at the end of his video, I, I, was, I was so caught off guard. He said, I, everything I have, I owe to Jesus. Everything I have. You see, that, that story says it all, doesn't it? It says it all. I, I interviewed another guy this week, and he began to tell the story of how... Um, he, he and his wife had hit a difficult time in, in marriage, and they wound up, uh, before I'd even known they had come to church, they wound up in my office and, because a neighbor cared for them. And uh, 
Now I see them every week here. I, I talk with them regularly, and I'm able to see what God's done in their life, and I'm reminded what we're about is a testimony. What we're about is our story of God doing a great work within us and around us and for us and with us. And I, I want to say to you, you are amazing. You are valuable. You are loved. I don't want you to forget it. First Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him before he cares for you. You are loved. And then finally, in that fourth one, I want you to recognize I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I remember I was a uh, chief operating officer of a large mission organization. I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, whenever it was. And I had been given a project for the Southern Baptist Convention to run. And it was, uh, it was a lot of money and it was a lot of project and it failed miserably. It was awful. I, I truly just failed miserably. Uh, the missions board had lost a lot of money, and frankly, um, I, 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 just, I, didn't, I didn't do a, a good job at all. I didn't intend to, but it was, it was awful. And about two weeks after that event, it was my job to stand up in front of the board of directors and explain what went wrong. And um, you ever had one of those mornings that you just dread going to the office because of that? And that, that was mine, because I knew this was going to be ugly. And so I walked up in front of these guys and uh, I said, listen, let me, let me tell you the facts of the, the meeting. And all the, all the way in those two weeks from at the end of the project to this morning, I, I was thinking to myself, all right, I, I've got so many great excuses. And walking from my chair up to the podium, I, I, it was as clear as I could hear the Lord, the Lord saying, you know what, Chuck, none of those excuses matter. Just tell them the deal. So I did. I stood up and I said, listen, I totally blew it. The buck stopped here. Uh, it wasn't successful. We totally blew it. And I understand if you need to terminate me, I, I'll to that's, that's, that's totally okay. And about that time, uh, uh, at the time, Jim Henry was still the pastor at First Baptist Orlando. And I, I'll never forget Dr. Henry walked up to me, white-haired, gracious, kind, and put his arm around me. And, and he said, Chuck, I want you to know, we, we just totally forgive you. And all grace we want to pour onto your life. And this could have been anybody, but thank you for taking up. And you know what I thought to myself? I'll never forget standing there being aware that I was forgiven. What a beautiful picture to know you're forgiven. What a wonderful thing when you and your spouse have been at it and, and really it's just, wait a minute, I've come back to this point that I love you more than I do trying to make this point. And forgiveness happened. Jesus came along and forgave you. Listen, I, I think at times we forget how exceptionally great a news that is, that we are forgiven. We are amazing we are valuable. We are loved. We, we, we are forgiven. Matthew 6, 14 says, Jesus shows us what forgiveness really is. For if you forgive others, their person keeps bringing the same offense up. Then they never really sent it away and they haven't truly forgiven. Biblical, godly forgiveness sounds like this. Uh, God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by this life? Romans chapter 5. You know, the Greek word for the term enemies means hated, hateful, hostile, opposing. But when forgiveness comes around, forgiveness comes with a confession, doesn't it? When I stood in front of that board, I had to confess. Listen, it buck stops here. I blew it. Do you know what confess means, literally? When you confess your sins before God, what you're saying is, God, I agree with you at what a messed up mistake I made. 
When we, when we confess, you ever heard that confess your sins before the Lord? What it's saying is agree with God that he already knows you've messed up and yet he still loves you. This is what it means when we do that. And I would say to you, we need to start taking seriously this, this idea of confessing our sins before the Lord so that he might forgive us, that we might live that way. We might recognize I am valuable. We might recognize I am amazing. We might recognize I am loved. I am forgiven. You know, you, know what, uh, you know what God does when you agree with him with his sin? The scriptures say in the 103rd Psalm that he throws those as far as the east is from the west. You ever heard that phrase? And you say, how far is the east from the west? It, it, is, an, it, it is not a finite number. It, it, is, it is infinite. When we think about it, if it's the north and the south, we have poles there. But you go east and west, it never stops. What God does when he forgives us, he says, I throw them away. They're done. They're behind me. They move on. You need to move on. You need to move on. Because you're forgiven. It's not about the I am's. It's not about the I can'ts. It's about that you can. So, um, so I'm reminded. I'm reminded that um, this brings up a whole host of issues, including the fact that many of us, most of us, maybe all of us have this part in our life where we're just, we're just so weak. We've come to this sense in our life and in our life where literally we find so much wrong with us. And I, listen, I know, I mean, there's a lot wrong here. I get that. But, you know, I, I think some of us live our entire life with the belief that, well, you know, I don't have enough education. Well, you know, I don't, I don't have enough money. Well, you know, I don't. I, I don't look that way, and I, I don't act this way. And I, I didn't, we didn't have money when I was a kid, or I was, you know, I was abused when I was a child, or I, I have an addiction here. And I think all of us start dealing with, with, with these things that are insecurities in our life. Don't you have them? I mean, if you really got, you got just brutally honest, don't you have some insecurities in your life? You know, most of us know what they are because those are the things that we say the most amount of jokes about to deflect it. How many times have you heard me make a fat joke? Seriously, you know what what that is? I'm looking at myself and I'm thinking to myself, you know, Chuck, you're just not good enough. You you, you don't deserve that. How many times have you made a joke about a lack of education or a lack of money or or, or your, your husband or your wife isn't exactly what you want or your kids? And all I'd say to you is, let's stop. Let's stop. Every time that I tell a fat joke, I get in the car and my wife loves me enough to say, stop it. Stop it. Because what you're saying when you say it, Chuck, is you're saying that God can't because you can't. But that's not true. Everything we learned last week is you can because of him. You can do all things through him. There is no limitation on that. It's not limited by the college you went to or the college you didn't go to. It's not limited as to whether you're pretty or not so pretty. It's not whether you were raised well or you were in a broken home. It's not whether you're fat or skinny. It's the fact that what can God do in you? Period. Because it's not about you. It's about him. It's about him. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.